The Mark Stein Show. And now, here's Mark. Today is the bicentenary of Julia Gardner, born this day, May 4th, 1820, on Gardner's Island in Gardner's Bay, at the eastern end of Long Island. Miss Gardner was the lovely young bride of John Tyler, 10th President of the United States, and she is the lady who made Hail to the Chief, the ceremonial entrance music for the President down through the decades. Mrs. Tyler, on her 200th birthday, Mrs. Tyler has living grandsons, elderly now but still with us, and that makes John Tyler the earliest president with living grandchildren, which isn't bad for a chap born in 1790. So instead of Generation Z, in Tyler family terms, this would be America's Generation D which in some ways would give a better sense of perspective to things. The only reason there is a President Tyler, of course, is because President Harrison, on his inaugural day parade, uh, contracted a respiratory ailment that did for him. In this age of contagion, I hope uh, Julia Gardner and John Tyler's grandsons are staying safe from any such things. Oh, oh, oh. May 4th, 2020. From my house arrest to yours. It's your Stein Show Corona Copia. Everybody was kung flu fighting. But let's put that aside and See what's up with Joe Biden Good news, he's out of hiding Okay, okay, that's enough of that. We'll get to Joe Biden in a moment. A quick update on what's happening in what the State Department maps call the rest of the world. In Greece, the lockdown is being eased and brothels are being allowed to reopen as long as both staff and customers wear masks and gloves. Make the most of it. Usually you have to pay extra for that. In Russia, a strange new symptom of this pandemic is emerging. Uh, One we might want to run by the uh, WHO and the CDC. Uh, A sudden tendency to fall out of windows on the upper floor. In Voronezh City, Dr. Alexander Shulipov, 37, tested positive for COVID-19 and warned publicly about dangerous shortages of personal protective equipment. Dr. Shubalov was ordered to return to hospital and shortly thereafter fell out of an upper floor window. This follows the death of Dr. Yelena Neponyashchaya, a 47-year-old mother of two who complained about shortages of PPE and then fell 60 feet to her death from a window Uh, at her hospital in Krasnoyarsk. And COVID-afflicted Dr. Natalia Lebedeva, 48, who plunged 60 feet to her death from the sixth floor of a Moscow hospital. So if you're a Russian doctor and you're concerned about the lack of personal protective equipment, 
go make a big ballyhoo, and the good news is you won't be needing any of it 48 hours later because the ultimate PPE is a coffin. Many people are medical experts these days. For example, my fellow Granite Stater Richard Comey, a native of Nigeria who somehow got into the U.S. refugee program, was resettled in Manchester, which is New Hampshire's biggest city, and 10 years later was elected to the state legislature. You can't really do that in the small rural towns in the North Country uh, where we uh, do it the old-fashioned way. You don't run for dog catcher until you've lived in town for 40 years and you don't even speak at town meeting until you've been here for 25 years. But in Manchester, vibrant and diverse city of federal refugee resettlement, it's different. So Mr Comey got elected to the state legislature as a Democrat so that the party of diversity could demonstrate that it actually had some. And they certainly did get some. Richard Comey has endorsed Joe Biden for president. Joe Biden has been accused of, if you'll pardon the expression, digitally penetrating one of his staffers, Tara Reid, against her wishes. That's sexual assault. To date, the position of Biden and the rest of the hashtag believe all women crowd is that this is completely different from the Kavanaugh stuff. Why? Well, hey, have I mentioned I've got a multi-trillion dollar climate change plan right here? So the Tara Reid allegations are sitting out there and not really going away. Richard Comey decided to put the story to bed once and for all and so tweeted on Friday, quote, Judging by the position of the female vagina, it will not be easy for anyone to just push their finger into the vagina unless there is some cooperation from the female herself. That is why I believe Tara Reid's allegation is false. She is looking for attention, unquote. For some reason, this was not regarded as especially helpful by Joe Biden and the Democrats. Richard Comey has now resigned from the state legislature, even though his acknowledgement that it helps to have, quote, some cooperation from the female herself is as close as any Democrat in such circumstances has gotten in recent decades to recognising the concept of consent. By the way, Biden's Morning Joe interview got attention mostly for his answers about Ms. Reid, but just as devastating was his response on the coronavirus, where he stated that 600,000 Americans have died. He repeated it twice before Joe Scarborough gently clarified that the number was, in fact, a tenth of that. Yesterday, the president held a virtual town hall on Fox News. He and his hosts were socially distanced at the Lincoln Memorial while viewers Skyped in their questions. This was the very first one. My name is Shana Cruz, and I'm a single mother from Alabama. I lived paycheck to paycheck before the virus, but then I lost my job in March. I haven't received a stimulus payment or anything from unemployment. I'm behind on every bill, about to be evicted from my home, and I've had to rely on donations in order to feed my children. I feel frustrated and I feel scared not knowing where to turn or what to do. What advice do you have for me and others in my situation? Is there more help coming? As I always say, I was one of the first to get Trump. Three weeks after he came down that escalator in June 2015, and when all the Conservative Inc. hotshots were insisting his candidacy was a joke, all the Becks and Levins and the Bill Crystals. But the president did not give a good answer to this. He defaulted to familiar lines. He'd built the greatest economy in history. And then they, they, 
came to him and told him he had to shut it down. I'd have liked it if Brett and Martha had followed up with, Mr. President, who is they? That might have been an interesting answer. Uh, instead, he said he thought third quarter was going to be great. Third quarter. When you do town halls and you get this kind of question, it's not about you. It's about the person asking the question. In this case, Shana Cruz from Alabama. Ms. Cruz doesn't think in terms of third quarter. She has to get through this quarter, this week, this day. Uh, this lady was never really part of the gangbusters economy. If the Dow Jones is soaring through the ceiling, she's just doing her regular job and is largely untouched by that. But she's touched by this. She's like almost everyone within a 50-mile radius of where I'm sitting, save for a few Flatlander retirees and Dartmouth College trustee fundies. Everyone else lives paycheck to paycheck. So when you're told that that's it, paycheck-wise, the bottom drops out pretty bloody quickly. The government promised her a $1,200 check in March. It's now May, and the government has failed to get it to her. As I said on Rush, there's no argument whatsoever for a nanny state that can't nanny, which is what this disgusting bureaucracy is. The correct answer is to demonstrate some human feeling for the ruination of this woman's life. Would it have killed the president to say, it's outrageous that you haven't got that checked, Shana. Leave your number, or we'll get your bank details, and first thing Monday morning, I'm walking over to the Treasury building, and I'll personally stand over the guy until he wires it into your account. Uh, especially when the Ritz-Carlton and Harvard and the Kennedy Center and wealthy sports franchises and the rest of the connected grifter class can apparently get their millions of dollars within days. There are millions and millions of Americans like this woman, like Shana Cruz from Alabama, to accept that in a crisis, the head of the executive branch cannot impress his will on the executive branch is the very antithesis of the swamp draining that Trump ran on. He's got to have a better answer than the one he gave last night to poor Ms. Cruz. He's got to have a better answer. And now, from the land where everything is policed except crime... Good evening, all. It's your Brit Wanker Copper of the Day. As you know, I regard the South Yorkshire police, enablers and abettors of their county's so-called grooming gangs, to be an evil and depraved constabulary that has never paid the price for its uh, lack of action uh, in this last couple of decades and should in fact be abolished and its duties divided among neighbouring forces. However, I didn't appreciate that the South Yorkshire copper's enthusiasm for grooming extended beyond Muslim gang rape. When I wake up in the morning light I pull on my jeans and I feel alright I pull my blue jeans on 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 a hit record for Lord David Dundas, younger brother of the fourth Marquess of Zetland, at the risk of offending Julie Birchall, who deplores the way the music biz has been entirely taken over by toffs. Lord David's enthusiasm for denim surely conveys a certain 
respectability upon this most basic garb. Alas, not in South Yorkshire. A headline from the Doncaster Free Press. South Yorkshire police apologises over wrong kind of genes for exercise message. Hmm. That's intriguing. Quote, South Yorkshire Police has apologised following an online backlash over a message which appeared to criticise someone for being out in jeans during the coronavirus lockdown. It started with a copper from Doncaster, South Yorkshire. Sergeant Michael Miles, uh, who wrote on the South Yorkshire Police Alerts Twitter feed, quote, Tonight has seen us checking people's reasons for being on the streets. Between essential saunter in jeans as exercise, an essential trip to the shops for egg custards, and essential trip to the cash machine for £20 to use in the morning, we've offered a lot of advice. Unquote. Very droll, very droll, I'm sure. But it's just the usual pile driver fist in a wags glove. Sergeant Miles continues, anyone out who'd already received a warning will receive a fine on top of any action tonight. Stick to the restrictions. If you're out at the same time as us, we'll be checking. I sincerely hope that everyone stays safe and well in this tough time, and my lot are doing their best to keep you that way. My lot are doing their best to keep you that way. So no sauntering in jeans. Sergeant Miles and his South Yorkshire police colleagues are building a post-sauntering society. The Network for Police Monitoring, which is some sort of watchdog of copper excess in the UK, replied to Sergeant Miles, the wrong kind of jeans for exercise? Honestly, it's becoming embarrassing now. Well, yes, it would if it were not for the fact that if you can't be embarrassed by going along with Muslim gang rape for two decades, it's unlikely anything else is going to embarrass you. So now Sergeant Miles's bosses have weighed in. Chief Superintendent Sean Morley said, quote, A message has been issued on SYP alerts which is not in keeping with our approach. We have been very clear in our expectations that officers should engage and encourage residents on the new restrictions. Further training will be provided to the officer to ensure they... Uh, I didn't realise he used non-binary pronouns, this sergeant, to ensure they are clear on our position. We apologise for any confusion caused by this alert. Yes, it's easy to get confused by what the South Yorkshire police find amusing, isn't it? As I wrote a couple of years back after meeting with some of the Rotherham girls abandoned and betrayed by Chief Superintendent Morley's officers, quote, Tamad Ash and his fellow... Asians, the likes of Jessica and Katie, are white slags. To the South Yorkshire police, they're mere packy shaggers, and thus unworthy of valuable police resources. The girls recall the night Mad Ash's brother Banneras was in his car having sex with a 12-year-old. A jam sandwich, a police cruiser, pulled up alongside, and the officer rolled down the window. She's just sucking my bleep, mate, said Banneras Hussain. The cops drove away. It must have been an abiding image for Jessica, for Katie, for Banaras Hussein's 12-year-old, for the girl who would later testify that all three brothers pissed on her like a pack of animals, for a thousand and more packy shaggers and white slags all over Rotherham, year in, year out, for decades. The police driving away. 
and leaving them. Perhaps that was just a joke too. Maybe Banaras Hussein was wearing jeans, wasn't he? It's most likely. Were they the right kind of jeans? Or is it hard to see when your police cruiser, your jam sandwich is parked alongside and the trousers around his ankles? So no, I don't want jokes from the enablers of Rotherham. You've got to earn the right to try comedy by first demonstrating you can take something seriously. Like the gang rape of children, you miserable excuse for a body of men. Your dirty, rotten constabulary is so dirty and rotten that my old friend Boris Johnson is sealing the records about what went on in your hell of a county. So it's not a time to try comedy. If I had an egg custard... And I don't usually go in for physical comedy, but if I had an ex-egg custard, a non-essential egg custard, I'd shove it in Sergeant Miles's face. But for now, the what-not-to-wear division of the South Yorkshire Police is out of business, and a Yorkshireman remains free for the moment to choose his own trousers. It's the weekend, and I know that you're free. Your Brit wanker copper of the day, Sergeant Michael Miles. Evocative essays, scintillating stories, timely transcripts, even satisfying songs. All of these and more live on at steinonline.com for members of the Mark Stein Club. You've heard him on the radio and seen him on TV, but that is just the tip of the iceberg. From the Stein Online back catalogue to exclusive access to Stein's new content, membership in the Mark Stein Club is a must-have for fans of America's undocumented anchorman. Tune into Stein's nightly tales for our time. Join the conversation in one of his fortnightly live Clubland Q&As, or sit back and take in a Sunday poem. Mark Stein Club members also get advance notice of Stein's live appearances. Join the Mark Stein Club now by heading to www.steinonline.com slash club. It's your Monday Mohammed. Never let a crisis go to waste, so said Obama sidekick Rahm Emanuel. And it's not just the secular leftist progressive who refuses to let a crisis go to waste. Many others also seize their opportunities. Not Conservative Inc., of course. They can be relied on always to let a crisis go to waste, as they did with 9-11. See the concluding passages of my book, The Face of the Tiger. But I was thinking more of the ever-confident Muslim community who are always alert to the possibilities. For example... Do you know what that is? If you don't, you soon will. It's the Adan, the Muslim call to prayer. And thanks to the lockdown, it's now for the first time ringing out across North American cities, north and south of the border. Once upon a time, you had to actually go inside a mosque uh, to hear this. 
Uh, but that was before the coronavirus came along. Uh, that Adan is from Toronto. Meanwhile, on the U.S. side, in Minnesota, here's Sheikh Abdesalam Adam of the Islamic Civic Society of America. Yeah, this is a historic uh, moment tonight for us to be celebrating the first call to prayer Adan in a major city in the United States. And the idea started as a collaboration between K Minnesota, the Council on American-Islamic Relations, and Daryl Hijra Mosque. And they approached the mayor of Minneapolis, who welcomed the idea in light of the very difficult circumstances that we're all experiencing as a result of the coronavirus uh, stay-home uh, orders. Oh, I'm sure the mayor was happy to oblige. Who could object at a time in America when church services are cancelled and police officers are dispatched to ticket parishioners parked in cars with rolled up windows listening to services in church parking lots to see a mayor putting religion front and center in your face on the city streets in the public square it's kind of heartening isn't it many you know uh, immigrants or people from the muslim world are familiar with hearing the adhan early in the morning middle of the day evening sunset and later in the night. Every day they hear it regularly and it becomes part of habit and uh, it reminds people of uh, when to head to the mosques and place of worship. Um, when we came to the United States, we have lost uh, touch with that reminder. I take Sheikh Abdesalam Adam's point about this being a familiar sound in Somalia and Yemen and Sudan and Waziristan. It's almost like we Western societies have gotten the message and are finally doing immigration right. Instead of the immigrants assimilating to their new home, the new home is assimilating to them. On the Canadian side of the border in Toronto, on Dundas Avenue, uh, that's not named for the jeans on Guy and the Marquises of Zetland, but for Henry Dundas, the first Viscount Melville, on Dundas at the Medina Masjid, the call to prayer is also ringing out across a Covid lockdown city. As the Imam at Medina Masjid, uh, Imam Shiraz Mohammed, puts it, quote, an important aspect of Ramadan is socializing, and that's been lost. Um, he means because of the coronavirus lockdown. Sunset, when we open the fast, is usually the busiest time. People come to the mosque in large numbers. This year at our mosque, we decided we should do something to recognize that spirit of sunset. So we thought, let's call the Adan, the call to prayer on a loudspeaker so that everybody can hear it. We took that idea to our city councillor and she got us permission. Now many mosques have followed suit. It's a great achievement for us because we never had the permission to call the Adan in public and it enlivens the spirit of Ramadan a little. Not much, but a little." Unquote. Ah, oh, it sounds so benign like that, doesn't it? We took that idea to our city councillor and she got us permission. That would be councillor Paula Fletcher. And really, with all this lockdown, isn't it the least they could do? So you sit at home in your flat, and out on the street, the Muslim call to prayer rings out. Allahu Akbar rings out. Oh, come on, it's a perfectly harmless expression. No need to dive under the table. In Minnesota, 
And in Ontario, this is a first, as my sometime comrade, sometime opponent, Tarek Fatah, tweeted, this is Islam marking its territory. And Islam attaches great importance to controlling the public space. And at a time when you can't even get into the public space, the call to prayer rings out across it for believer and infidel alike. Just a temporary measure, just till the lockdown's over. Uh-huh. Are you really so sure about that? Your Monday Mohammed, Imam Shiraz Mohammed of Toronto. Don't call him, he'll call you. Mark's mailbox is on the air. Maria, first day founding member of the Mark Stein Club from the Show Me State of Missouri, writes... Two observations that popped into my mind that I wanted to get your thoughts on. First, there seems to have been a complete reverse in quote-unquote scientific thoughts since the Ebola outbreak a few years back when the government and media elite fought against any idea of quarantining recent returnees from the outbreak. That's true, Marie. With Ebola, it would have been totally racist to quarantine persons coming from Central or West Africa, so nobody got quarantined. With COVID, it would have been totally racist to quarantine persons coming from China, so everybody has to be quarantined. No one's ever done that before. If you followed my serialization of Daniel Defoe's Journal of the Plague Year, you'll know that no one in London in 1665 ever entertained the notion of quarantining the entire population. Speaking as someone who likes to roam around, I wonder whether real freedom of movement will ever return as in respectable, law-abiding Americans can no longer make a business trip to Australia or take a vacation in Italy or have a weekend in Montreal. But under the so-called immigration ban, millions of foreign so-called guest workers remain, quote, essential and are flying in every day, which brings Marie to her next point, uh, second, says Marie, we seem to have a Grenfell-type disaster. That's the tower block in London that went up in flames. Um, a a Grenfell-type disaster erupting on the Midwest in areas surrounding meatpacking plants that are seemingly heavily staffed with, quote, refugees and, quote, undocumented immigrants from third world areas. Concerning Grenfell, the firefighters were blamed instead of overcrowding illegal sublets and blocked fire escapes, etc. There have been reports bubbling to the surface of meatpacking plants being closed due to COVID outbreaks, and Trump has used his powers to order them to remain open. However, there's been an almost total lack of curiosity in the media as to the underlying causes of why meatpacking plants seem to be more heavily hit by outbreak than other factories. Um, Indeed, Marie, but then almost total lack of curiosity in the media is their standard operating procedure. If they ever do have a, 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 a slight outbreak of journalistic curiosity bubbling up in their gullet, they learn to suppress it before they ever ask a question that might counter 
the uh, the politically correct bromides under which we supposedly officially live. Uh, to go back to that Grenfell Tower business, Maria, I think I've spoken or written before about a couple of years ago, going back to a neighbourhood in the east end of London that I hadn't visited in many years and being absolutely astonished at the mountains of garbage piled up in the front gardens of hitherto leafy, pleasant residential streets. And my guide explained that these houses were supposed to accommodate four or five persons, but that they were now full of, well, basically London's equivalent of, quote, guest workers. And so now 12, 17, 31 people live there, sleeping seven, eight, nine to a room. Uh, that's that's literally true. Three tiny little bedrooms uh, in which, uh, specifically was pointed out to me, uh, nine or ten Romanian guest workers slept in each room. And they generate a lot more trash, way beyond the capacity of weekly municipal garbage collection, which is why the mountains of trash piled up in, in the front yards of a clue that something's going on. Something similar is happening in these meatpacking communities, where it's not just the meat that gets packed, but also the people jammed together in sublets and sub-sublets and sub-sub-sublets. We talk about all the cheap Chinese crap in Walmart, but we don't think of a chicken in the same way, because the chicken is at least nominally made in America, but slicing him up to get him into a freezer at Price Chopper is done by everybody but Americans. And they're, quote, essential workers, and Americans like Shana Cruz of Alabama are not. This societal model does not work, and the few Americans enriched by it are killing their country. If we're going to destroy the lives of Ms. Cruz and millions like her, let's at least learn the lessons of... What's really happened here? Mark Stein's Last Call. Troy Sneed was a high school football star and hoped to continue that at Florida A&M. Instead, in his freshman year, a ligament injury put an end to his sports ambitions. And so one day on a whim, he went to his first choir rehearsal. I believe in that God is going to work a miracle in your life by the end of this song. No matter what situation you find yourself in right now, just know that all you have to do is leave it at the feet of Jesus. My brother and my sister. All of your problems, all of your pain, lay it down, lay it down. All of your heartache, all guilt and shame, lay it down, lay it down. The Bible says, Cast your cares upon him, he'll hear your call. Lay it down. Lay it down, promised. Promise he would never leave, not forsaken friend indeed. Lay it down, lay it down. War cry. Troy Sneed became a contemporary gospel star, a singer-songwriter who could put an album in the Billboard gospel charts. It's different from old-time gospel. These are songs in a contemporary vernacular and with the directness of pop hooks. Let me read the track listings of his top ten album, All Is Well. I know you hear me in your presence. 
have your way. God will show up. I won't let go. I won't give up. I'll stand right here till God shows up. Though I don't see him anywhere around I believe he has a plan for me Dead of the Chinese coronavirus at the age of 52 Contemporary gospel singer-songwriter Troy Sneed A couple of weeks back, Media Matters in America, Pink News in the UK and various others had a jolly good go at trying to take me out permanently for suggesting that compromised immune systems made gays particularly vulnerable to COVID-19. Apparently that topic has joined an ever-lengthening list of things we're not permitted to talk about, which doesn't help in a pandemic. But in the soft-focused treatment of local tragedies, one can discern that something terrible is going on. Philip Chai and his husband, Tony Brooks, were married on a cruise ship in 2014 and lived in San Antonio, Texas, with Philip's widowed mother. Philip ran the Extreme Opulence Hair Studio and Tony was a local councilman. All three contracted the coronavirus, but it was the younger two who wound up going to hospital. Or rather, hospitals. It was only when it became clear that neither would be coming home that the couple were placed in adjoining rooms in the same building. Philip would never make it back home. His husband would soon join him in a San Antonio ICU. Tony had also been sick, but did not want to go to the ER, according to his brother-in-law. He was found unresponsive by Philip's mom and days later ended up in a room right next to his husband. I'm not sure how much of a consolation that that is, to have your loved one on the other side of a wall and not to be able to touch or communicate. Philip died, and then two days later, so did Tony. In our family, it was three people that got con- uh, contracted COVID-19. And out of those three, two died. Philip was sitting up and talking in the ICU when he suddenly died. Tony died shortly after. News that Philip's mother is now dealing with in the couple's empty home as she's still quarantined. And that is the isolation chamber grief that accompanies COVID-19. When news of your son's death is barked at you from the sidewalk over the garden gate. It's it's very hard. I mean... You know, we, we had to arrange my other brothers that live in San Antonio to stand outside the house while we tell her the news. And that's the heartbreaking side. We can't go in. They, they, my brothers can't go in and comfort her. She's standing in the doorway crying. Dead of the Chinese coronavirus at the ages of 42 and 52, respectively, Philip Chai and his husband, Tony Brooks. One hopes God does indeed show up because nobody else does. Death in hospital is always tough. Death in hospital alone 
is awful. Philip and Tony would surely envy the final days of Stuart and Adrian Baker, the kind of glowing, healthy retirees you see everywhere in Florida, until late March when Covid came a-calling for them. He went into hospital first, his wife of 51 years followed soon after, and when it became obvious that there would be no happy ending, their son Buddy Baker, an NFL agent, worked and wheedled to ensure that at least his parents would die together. The couple had been married for 51 years and were enjoying their retirement in Florida. They bravely fought the coronavirus together for two weeks. On Sunday, they died, just six minutes apart, inseparable in life and in death, says their son, Buddy. We asked that they both be placed in the same room. The nurses there actually took, you know, took a picture of them holding hands um, and they passed just minutes apart from each other. Dead of the Chinese coronavirus six minutes apart at the ages of 74 and 72 respectively, with no underlying conditions, Stuart and Adrian Baker. Oh, I don't see, don't see the Myorgas came from Nicaragua to America in the 80s. Dad worked in a funeral home, Mom as a nanny. Their son, Mario Jr., grew up to become a cleaner at Mount Sinai Medical Center in Miami. A good job, pre-COVID, and then suddenly high risk. You see, Mayorga and his entire family caught the virus. The 42-year-old worked for a company contracted to clean at Mount Sinai Hospital. When they got sick, we all got really scared, but we never expected this outcome. Mario tested positive in mid-March and a week later so did his father, mother and sister. Mario Sr. died on April 10th. His mother, Esperanza, died April 19th. The couple who was about to celebrate their 50th wedding anniversary died nine days apart. Mario Mayorga, the son, lost his battle to COVID-19 on Sunday. No hug. There's no wiping each other's tears or holding each other's hand. So we're relying on text messages and phone calls to comfort each other. It's not clear the mother ever knew of the loss of her husband. It's not clear the son ever knew of the loss of both parents. The sole survivor lives alone with the loss of all three. Mario's sister, Tita, is the only survivor in the family. She's still recovering from COVID-19. Now she has to deal with medical bills and how she's going to pay for burying not just her father, her mother, but now her brother. Dead of the Chinese coronavirus at the age of 72, just a few weeks short of their golden wedding anniversary, Mario and Esperanza Mayorga, dead of the virus at the age of 42, their son, Mario Mayorga Jr. the isolation wards of the world's hospitals. God will show up because no one else can get in the room. Not your wife, 
not your children, not your grandchildren. I am interested in these stories because this Mother's Day, there will be a lot of missing mothers around the dining table. And for some mothers, like that lady in San Antonio, missing sons and daughters, those empty places cry out for justice. We had a busy weekend at Stein Online with Russell Crowe trying to socially distance from the lions in Gladiator, our Saturday movie date, and a couple of beautiful standard songs to sequester by as our songs of the week. I hope you'll want to check out one or other or both as a new week commences. And if you're only just getting into this new run of our little shows, all the Mark Stein audio shows you've missed are handily archived in a Netflix-style tile format where we've, uh, what's the word they use these days? Curated them uh, in, uh, in a brand-new uh, homepage for this show. Click on Audio at the Stein Online menu bar and from the drop-down menu, select the Mark Stein Show. Uh, go to Audio, drop-down, and then click the Mark Stein Show. We will see you back here Wednesday for a Mark Stein Club third birthday show. Stay safe, stay free. Join us next time for another edition of The Mark Stein Show. The Mark Stein Show is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. reserved.